The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 14, or chapter 4, not 14. And we'll dive in a little deeper. do want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up for the Labor Day PB&J, that's Next Sunday, um, we'll be finalizing the brackets if you want to play in the tournament. You don't have to play in the tournament to have a good time, and and there'll be some courts to play on and lots of other activities and food, um, and uh, just going to be a great time. So, But if you do want to play in the tournament, we certainly need you to register pretty quickly and to finalize our kind of giving our numbers to them to make sure we have enough food. So I encourage you to do that. There's, um, I think, uh, instructions in your bulletin. You can find it on the website. And also encourage you, man, it's a great time to jump into a discipleship group as they're launching uh, currently in the you know, next uh, few weeks. And, and if you're not in one, it's a great place to meet people, dive deeper into the Word, and uh, just kind of stretch and have some people to walk alongside you and help you as you walk through this world. Um, but today we're jumping into... Uh, Genesis chapter 4, and I don't know about you, but uh, for me, I find that sometimes I'm, I'm looking at what's going on in the world and watching culture and how people are uh, functioning and what they feel or believe is right um, and sort of live their lives passionately by. Sometimes I watch the news and I'm like, man, like how could... How could these people be so different than me? I, I feel so like I'm drawn to the Lord. I love the Lord. And, it, and I could never say some of the things that they say because of my um, like just belief in the word of God and my, um, you know, who I think Jesus is and what he's called me to in a place of obedience. And I look at these people, and I'm, I'm like, they don't seem like they're really bad people. As a matter of fact, a lot of them seem like they're, they're, they're kind of cool people, some of them. And I'm just, I, it leaves me scratching my head trying to understand how I could be so different when it comes to my understanding of all things than these people are. And how, how, how could it be such a difference between the two of us? I, I feel that way often. Um, and I'm reminded of when I see, and again, what I'm, t- I'm referring to is, is sometimes when I look in a humanistic uh, way of thinking, how passionate people can be, um, how, um, how antagonistic they can be toward what I believe is true. Um, and I'm reminded of last week when the curse happened, the fall took place. Um, in the prophecy, there said, uh, God said that, man, there would be offspring. There would be offspring of, of, of Satan. I, I shared a little bit about how, you know, Revelation talks a little bit about there is a spiritual um, or an angelic offspring that we call demons that he led in a rebellion. But then there's also human offspring um, that people who are caught up in the way of of rebellion would be offspring of his. Um, And then there's offspring of the woman as well and the the hope of the deliverer that would come through the seed of the woman and and Adam and Eve. And 
And they were looking forward to that deliver. And so there's also human offspring that, that are um, not a part of that same rebellion. And so that's what chapter 4, as we read about it, we begin to see, man, like chapter 3 is sort of what life was like in Eden and why it's not that way anymore. Chapter 4 is a picture of what life is like outside of Eden. <laughs> Sometimes we, we look at some of the things that I'm describing and we go, man, things are really, really getting bad. Like it, I mean, people seem like they're just getting more and more evil. And, and the word says that the, that, uh, that will happen. It will, it will have this feeling and this uh, awareness that, that, that the world is getting more and more evil. But it makes us feel like, man, there was this time where things really weren't that bad, right? And the truth of the matter is that's not the case. Uh, we start in verse 1, and it says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Now, I draw your attention to um, what Eve says here, because it's very important and becomes important later. <laughs> Eve acknowledged God's help, but she took credit for what she had done. She said, I have brought forth. With the help of the Lord, I have. And I, I see in that, um, it's really easy to get into a place of what I would call spiritual arrogance and understanding that, hey, you helped God do something. You did something and God was sort of a part of it, but you really were the one that was able to make it happen. And so she has this, this idea of what she has done, and there had never been a set of parents who had a greater expectation for their, their child than Adam and Eve. Um, we all, when if you've been fortunate enough to become a parent, it's one of the most amazing things that can happen. You, this little baby is born, man, and as soon as you see that baby, you just think it is the most beautiful thing in the world, and it's not, but you feel that way. When you stop and think about it, babies are really not that attractive, especially when they come out. Uh, uh, but when it's yours, man, it's amazing. Like, it is absolutely amazing. Well, here is a, here is a, a set of parents that they're hanging on to a promise that they had heard, like, not to, like they heard God say, the seed of the woman will crush your head. So the, the enemy that was responsible for the most destruction in their lives, God made a prophetic statement to them that a deliverer would come through their seed that would crush his head. And so they were living with the expectation of this child coming. And when Eve got pregnant, they were like, this is him. Like, this is, this is the one that will defeat the enemy. As a matter of fact, when you do a study of his name, there are many scholars that believe that, uh, that Cain's name means, here he is, right? She's holding this little baby, man, the hope of the world. This is the hope of the world. Cain, I'm so excited for you. She thought she held the Christ, but in her arms was a killer. And she would learn how deep the curse would impact her when God said that through 
child-rearing, you your pain will be increased. The very baby that she thought would be the one that would deliver her and her husband and all of humankind was the one that took her son away, and in the act, she actually lost two sons. And we'll see that played out in this story. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked down with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Suppose that these boys bring offerings to the Lord, and the question becomes, where did they take the offerings? How did they know that they should have offered? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but it does tell us that Eden still existed, and it was guarded by an angelic presence, and humans weren't allowed to go in there any longer. And you say, well, why is that the case? Because God resided there at that particular time. That's where God's presence was known on the planet. And God is holy, and the humans had become unholy, and so they were evicted out of Eden, and they couldn't go there, but they could go to the gates and worship God. And I believe that these flaming swords that, uh, that are guarded um, and by this, like, this incredible light is, is portrayed there, and, and these two cherub are there. It, it's very similar sounding to the Ark of the Covenant, the destruction or the description of how to build the Ark of the Covenant. is to be wrapped in gold, and, and there are cherub there hovering over it. And, and we see that when we get to the Ark of the Covenant, what is the Ark of the Covenant in the, uh, symbolic of? The, the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant. And later they're told that they are to uh, have the tabernacle, and in the tabernacle is the Holy of Holies, and the Ark of the Covenant is to be there. And the Shekinah glory of God would come down from heaven, and it would rest on the Ark of the Covenant. Later Solomon builds the temple. He's allowed to build not the, you know, they move from the tabernacle to the temple, which is a physical location on the planet and he prays and dedicates the temple and we see the Shekinah glory of God coming and descending down on the temple and where, where did it reside? On the ark in the most holy place that they were not allowed to go into. That's where God's presence was. And so God was telling a story and making a way and, and Jesus later uh, comes. They're still looking forward to the deliverer and, and later we get to the New Testament and Jesus comes and when he's crucified on the cross of Calvary and he hangs there on what I believe we could say is the actual tree of knowledge of good and evil. It cursed as anyone who is hung on a tree and Jesus willingly hangs on the cross of Calvary as an innocent sacrifice that was pictured back uh, in, in Genesis 3 that we looked at as a prophecy of what the deliverer would do. Um, and, and so he comes and he hangs there and, and his last statement, he dies. It says there was an earthquake and the veil of the temple was rent in two. What is the veil of the temple? It was a very thick curtain that separated the most holy place. And, and God God's glory had already departed the temple. I mean, he, we already know that through what we read in, in, um, uh, through all of the prophets. But, but what it was symbolic of is that God was no longer going to reside there, the most holy place. 
And what do we learn in the theology of the New Testament? Is that when anybody calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You're transformed from old to new. And we learn that the body becomes in that transformation the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is a living ark of the covenant that the Shekinah glory of God descends upon. And so we see all of that, and they're going, and we see that in the garden, and they're going to this place to worship. They're making offerings. And it says very clearly that one offering was accepted and another one was not. Well, we look at Cain's offering, and it says that Cain brought some of the first fruits. But then the, the language is very clear that Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. What was the difference? Cain brought something. Abel brought the first and best thing. There was a difference between what they did. Cain was like, I probably should do something for God. Cain was like, God is my everything. And there was a completely different heart for the way that they approached God. And worship is always a matter of the heart. That's why Jesus says to us in the Gospels, he says to the woman at the well when she brings up religion, says, our fathers worshiped here, and you Jews say we are supposed to worship there. He says, listen, like the Father seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. It's not about the location um, that you choose to do the worship in. It's about the location of your heart when you are worshiping. Is is your heart in a place where you truly are worshiping? And Abel's heart was for the Lord, so God favorably accepted his worship. Cain's heart was for himself, so God didn't accept it. He rejected it. He clearly, something was offered to God, and God was like, don't want that. Abel's like, brings it, he's like, he accepts it. And some of you, you may not realize it, but God may be rejecting your worship because your heart is in the wrong place. Well, Cain got angry about this. I believe Abel was probably filled with joy. He wasn't filled with joy because Cain was angry. He was just filled with joy because God accepted what he offered. That's a great thing. When the one who creates you accepts what it is that um, happened, that you offered, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, when one of the greatest experiences you can have is when your dad tells you, man, great job, son. Like, I was so proud of you. When you, son, when you did that, I'm so proud of you. My dad, he told me, you know, he's gone now, but one of the things I... I appreciate it so much is that my dad communicated to me how proud he was of me for giving my life to the Lord and surrendering to the call of ministry. That meant the world to me, and that made me joyful, uh, but not joyful like Jesus makes me. <laughs> like when I surrendered to the Lord, man, the joy of the Lord entered my life, and, and it's just there. Um, and here Cain, his offering is rejected. And that can cause a person a great deal of pain. As a matter of fact, when a father rejects a son, it can be one of the most difficult things psychologically for a man to get over is when his father rejects him. And so we see here 
that Cain is angry. And because Abel is filled with joy, it creates a greater level of resentment. And God comes to Cain, and he says to him, why are you downcast? Bro, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And he says, sin is crouching at the door. you got to master it. And what we learn from this in the story is that God is always chasing us, and sin is always crouching around every corner. God is always in pursuit of us, and he loves us, but there is this force, this enemy that is always wanting to pounce on us and pull us away from the things of the one who created us. And we either run from God and get angry, or we repent, as Cain clearly could have done, but he did not do. We repent and we receive joy. It says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. What do we see? We see that if you run from the Lord, eventually your anger will destroy you. It'll destroy the things around you. I've never, you know, I've raised with three brothers. My oldest brother, I've always looked up to him. He's seven years older than me. Um, when I was about six years old, I can remember one of my earliest remem- memories, certainly my earliest memory of anger. I may have been five years old. I don't know. But he took me out in this area of the uh, house that, or behind the house that my dad used to shop. And, and uh, I had some cars and stuff. And he took a lot of my dad's scrap wood and he glued them all to the, um, this piece of plywood. And, and my brother, you know, he eventually went, went to school to be a, a draftsman. He's a project manager now. But, but he always could draw and like to do things like that. It's kind of cool. And, and, and so, he made this little city man on this plywood. And it was amazing. And I loved making it there with him and everything. And I just, like, it was just awesome. Like, this, this, this thing that I could just use to do this. And Well, then a few days later, man, he said he was going to take me somewhere with him and his friends. And he didn't take me. And I got so angry. I was filled with rage, man. I went out there and I took that city and I got on top of it with a hammer and knocked every board off of it in rage. My brother doesn't even remember it. I never got to play with it again. I destroyed it. And that's what anger does. And, and that's what's going on. I mean, it's a really sort of simple illustration of how we can understand anger, how it gets inside of us and starts to destroy things and disrupt. But in this case, man, it is turning in Cain. And he is bothered. And he is upset that God has not accepted his offering. And he is upset that Cain is so filled with the joy of God. And he has been rejected that he invites him out into the field and he attacks him and he kills him. The Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. We see the first lie in the Bible from a human. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen to your brother's blood. It cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. So listen to this. If you're taking notes, underline it. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. 
And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence, and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden, where God's presence was. God convicts Cain in the midst of his sin. And what does Cain do when God comes and impresses upon him and pursues him? He says, am I his keeper? No, bro, you're his killer. Apart from the Lord, we tend to kill relationships. With him, we keep them. Apart from the Lord, we begin to persecute those who've done something we feel was offensive and not right, and we take things in our own hands, and we kill the relationship. This is why John says, if you have hatred toward your brother in your heart, you're a murderer. We don't physically murder people, but we murder relationships all the time. Just destroy them. Sever them. Why? Because we are restless. With God, we tend to keep relationships. We tend to work through conflict. We tend to go deeper into a dive of oneness that we were created to have in the first place that the enemy is always trying to attack because sin is always crouching at the door. And as God pursues us, sin is always trying to destroy the union between us and God. There is an attack upon the vertical relationship between man and God in this moment. There is an, also an attack on the vertical relationship or the horizontal relationship between um, uh, uh, two humans. And they're always under attack. It is the condition of our culture. The ground was cursed before inside of Eden when Adam sinned. Now outside of Eden, when Cain sinned, he is cursed. The blessing, what is a curse? That is the blessing of God being withheld. Restlessness. That is the condition of the culture. Restlessly wondering. But a mark is placed upon Cain so that no one could hurt him. What is that? Now, some people might try to tell you that as a specific mark. What I believe it is, it is the grace of God. It is the grace of God that a person who has rebelled and totally rejecting the things of God, they still get to be alive on the planet. It is why we can look at the world and go, man, there are some people that seem like they are just as wicked as they could ever be, and look how much money they make. Look how much success happens to them. It's just protection. It's grace. The grace of God touches the just and the unjust. Every time a human being, whether they believe and have accepted God and accepted Christ as their personal Savior... Every time they draw a breath, they're receiving the grace of God. When the rain falls on the planet and it produces food for that person to eat, it is the grace of God touching their lives. Even though they may reject God, the deepest, most devout, atheistic person on the planet still experiences the grace of God. Not the saving grace, but still grace nonetheless. And that is the condition of our society, restlessly wondering, even though grace is providing, they are unaware of the hopelessness that they are in. 
Now, this is very important passage, section of Scripture that begins to teach us about um, just the doctrine of mankind itself. And we see uh, the, the descendants of Cain and, and then the line and, and descendants of, of, of those that would be of, of sort of, that we could say, the line of Abel because he was walking in a righteous place. And, and even in the New Testament, the, right, uh, the writer of Hebus, he, uh, Hebrews tells us that, that, that Abel um, was righteous. Uh, and so we see that Cain made love to his wife. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. And to Enoch was born Erad, and to Erad was the father of Muhujael. And Muhujael, that form of El, El, we have El Shaddai, like that's a, a, a form of the name of God. And so we see a religious aspect touched to the naming of these children. And Mahujiel was the father of Methushael. And Methushael was the father of Lamech. And so now we're getting generationally down the line of Cain's descendants. And look what happens. Lamech married two women. He was the first bigamist. <laughs> One was enough, right? So when the Bible, we look at it and go, man, was it okay for people to marry like and have multiple wives? God never told them to have multiple wives. He gave them one. And he said, a man and a woman shall leave their mother and father and cleave to his wife. Men started having other multiple wives. And so the Bible says that they did it and God still works within it. But you see that it causes problems every time that it happens. It's hard to have more than one woman. <laughs> Oh, go on, Jimmy. You're going to get in trouble. Uh, no, we, we would be lost without you guys. Lost. So Lamech married two women. One he named Ada and the other Zila. Ada's name means lovely, sort of beautiful. Zila means shade, which would, in this climate would have been a pleasurable thing. Names always meant something. Ada, watch this, very important. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zelah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. And so he was a metalsmith. Tubal-Cain's Tubal sister was Naamah. And Lamech said to his two wives, he writes a song. Listen to the song. Ada and Zila, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. The birth of hip-hop. Violence in music bragging about how he can take care of himself, using that which God had created to brag to his two wives where God said he would have vengeance for Cain. Now Lamech is bragging boldly about his power and where he has arisen and he has avenged himself and he will avenge himself even greater than what God could avenge Cain. 
to deal with the restlessness that secular um, culture is, ex- or is to deal with restlessness that they're experiencing, secular humanism is born. So when you watch the news and you go, what is going on? Like, why, how, why, is, why is it that they're so, this is a descendant of Cain. And so how do you see that? Well, God said you will be a restless wonder. You will wander. What does a wanderer do? They wander. They don't have a home, right? That's what a wanderer does. You will be a restless wanderer. What's the first thing Cain does? He builds a city where he will not wander. And he names it after his son, his namesake, Enoch. And he continues to defy what God had sentenced him to. It's the city of man. Augustine talks about it. Searching for rest in creation. Jabal was the father of all those who live in tents and take care of livestock. What is important about livestock at that time? It's reproduction, man. You reproduce the livestock, you increase your herds, and you got more herds, and you can trade with them. You got more cattle or sheep or goats or whatever. And so what could we say that I don't think it's a far stretch to say that he's the first economist. Jabal is the father of all those who play the pipe and the stringed instrument, the arts, And Tubal-Cain comes up with a way that he can start to smelt metal and make tools and weapons to increase their power, and we could call that technology. None of those things are wrong. They're all things that God has designed. The problem with them as they're described by Cain's and Cain's descendants is that they were to be restless wanderers, and the first thing they did is to start to build a city without God and use their ability to create economy and uh, uh, use the arts and take um, technology and help them deal with their restlessness. Does that sound familiar? Our city, like uh, people are just enraged with using and how far we can advance and look how far we can go and look at our city without God. We don't need him and we're going to teach our kids that they came from a creator. We're going to teach that they came from mush and over millions and millions and millions of years. This is our city and this is how we want it defined. We are citizens and descendants of Cain. It's a godless city. Citizens of the city of man are frantic with activity. Why? Why? Like, and, and I'm not saying this to, so that we start looking at people who are part of that city and start trying to get into arguments with them or look down on them. No, I'm trying to help us to understand this is what's happening. This is why they're so passionate toward things that we find so confusing. Is the favor of God is not falling on their lives, and so they've got to make sense out of something. They've got to have meaning, so they take economic means, and they take the arts, and they take technology, and they wrap it all up in the pursuit of trying to make sense of a, a meaning in this life because this is all there is for them. But we turn to verse 25, and all of a sudden it says, Adam made love to his wife again, 
There's a lot of love making going on in this chapter. Amen? I like that. <laughs> but be careful or you'll end up with a lot of descendants. I know. <laughs> Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. She said, now watch what is missing. You won't see an eye. God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. What is, what is going on here? Did a revival happen? No. Again, St. Augustine writes about this. This is the way of Abel, and it is increased. Humanism is born, and worship is multiplied simultaneously. When Seth is born, Eve removes the eye. And you know what? She names him set in place. That's what Seth means. Seth has a son, and he, he names him Enosh. You know what that means? Frail one. Weakness. People call on the name of the Lord. It's the way of worship. And the second city is advancing. It's the city of God versus the city of man. There's only two societies, and G Genesis lays this truth down, and then the rest of the Bible illustrates it all the way to Revelation. And this is why Jude, in Jude 1.11, says, Woe to them that have taken the way of Cain. Here's your takeaways. Our worship determines our citizenship. If your heart is not in it, then God will not accept it. Okay? It's not about, well, I just believe. Even the demons in hell believe. Cain believed God existed, but he did not worship in spirit and truth. He worshiped in a selfish manner and put himself as more important than God. The only way to get your heart in it is to give your life to Jesus as an offering. It is the only acceptable offering is to lay your life down on the altar for the Lord. You see, Cain thought he was good enough. Abel knew he wasn't. That's the difference between religion and relationship. People who are caught up in religion think that they're good enough, and they're like, well, God certainly recognizes I'm not as bad as that person. I don't do that. The, the person who has gone the way of Abel goes, man, I am desperately wicked, and if it were not for Jesus, I'd go straight to hell. I mean, I'm going to tell you that. Like, that's why Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Nobody's more of a sinner than me. The apostle Paul, who wrote the most incredible theology of all the New Testament writers, says, I'm number one. I'm weak before God. You see, his heart, when your heart is in the right place, you begin to have a low view of yourself and a high view of God. Abel brought blood. Cain brought beauty. Look at what I have brought to God. How beautiful it is. Cain came with something beautiful. Abel came with something bloody. You come with 
the blood first and everything else in your life will be beautiful. But if you come with beauty first, everything else in your life is offensive to God. And that's what's happening in our culture around us. And people don't realize it. They're restlessly involved in activity and engaged in all these things and pursuing this and that. It's because they have no favor with God and they don't understand why they're discontent and it is the absence of the favor of God and so their wheels are spinning. They don't really know they're going somewhere, but they're on a journey and they just keep going faster. And that's why things just keep increasing at the speed that they're increasing as we just keep going faster and faster into a place of nowhere when we're functioning with people leading at the top who live in the city of man. All worship is not equal, and our worship impacts our favor with Jesus. Here's the second takeaway. Citizens of man's city are being ripped off. God's favor equals the ultimate freedom. They are barred from Eden, right? Because they partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, But when they worship correctly as Abel, Abel did, then the favor of God falls on their lives. And I think that when we worship in the line of Abel's looking forward to the sacrifices, his parents had certainly told him about the the story of how God would deliver them. and, And they're looking in hope and they're trying to practice their faith. Then it says that, that Abel, he is, he's being faithful and he's looking forward and he's believing. And, and, and I think that as the favor of God falls on his life, what he is doing spiritually is eating from the tree of life, which Jesus says is what he is, that they've been barred from physically. They can no longer go and take from it physically, but they can spiritually if in faith they believe in what God said. They believe in what God said. What else can we believe in instead of what God said? We say, well, what do we believe in Jesus? Well, we better be believing in what he said. And what did he say? He said he was God. He is the word, the logos, the God among us. He is the word become flesh. So he is a manifestation of Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And and he's clothed in flesh. And he's saying, I am with you. I am Emmanuel. And we believe in that. And as we worship that, man, if we don't, then, then the, the favor of God is absence from our life and, 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 and we're not walking with him. And, and God, he blesses authentic worship, but he does not bless inauthentic worship. So you may came in here today and go, well, I know this, I heard this. And you're like, well, I just, yeah. Well, like, I know these things, I do these, like, whatever. Men, if the Lord has a hold of your heart, you ought to be filled with his spirit. And people that are the city of man ought to be looking at you and either getting angry and going or saying, tell me more about your city. When I don't experience God's favor, I'm easily angered. And the enemy's strategy is to entice me to be angry at God and people. And since I'm an image image bearer of God, I am designed to enjoy his favor. And when his favor is not on my life, I am vulnerable to the cycle of sin. And it's waiting and crouching around every corner of my life. And it wants to kill my relationships. 
Cain was angry. His face was cast down. He could not hide it, and you can't hide it either. But the good news is you can't hide the joy. The joy is in you, and if the joy of the Lord hits your life, people will recognize it, and the more you feast on the fruit of the tree of good and, and knowledge, or the tree of, uh, of life, the more that, that joy will be increased in your life, and the more attractional you will become as a believer of Christ, a citizen of the city of God. I believe this is what drove Cain to kill his brother. He resented him instead of repenting. And his anger gave full birth to sin. And this is why 1 John 3, 12 tells us, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. He wanted him dead because he just reminded him of the rejection he was experiencing in his heart. And instead of swallowing his pride and repenting before the Lord, he just spiraled further and deeper into sin. It was crouching at his door. And instead of slamming the door shut and saying, uh-uh, he let it get all over him. And it destroyed his life. How do we master it? The half-brother of Jesus tells us in James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. The key to mastering sin is resisting the devil and drawing near to God. The problem is, is we are more prone to draw near to the devil and resist God. Some of you, I am clearly laying out the gospel truth, and some of you will resist God and draw near to the devil before laying your life down on the altar today and going out here a transformed person. You will leave. You came in as a citizen of the city of man, and you will leave as a citizen of the city of man because you're too proud to humble yourself and say, I need God. You're a descendant of Cain. A descendant of Abel is like, you hear this truth, and you're broken, and you see your sin and your wretchedness. And you're like, how? You're like the publican man. The one guy said, thank you for not making me like that way, God. And the other guy, he's just like beating his chest and going, I'm so sinful. Those are the people who receive the mercy of God. The people who know that they are weak, the people who recognize it in, in, in their flesh, that's why Seth named his son Enosh, the frail one. We are all city folk living in one of these two cities. The cities are formed by two loves. Francis Schaeffer talked about the city of man. It is the love of self and contempt for God. And the city of God is the love of God and contempt for self. It's Babylon versus the church. You'll see Babylon through the Old Testament talked about, but then you find it in the New Testament. What is Babylon? It is the city of man. It is humanism. It is the trying to kill God. And what is the church, man? It is the body of Christ alive on the planet, the city of God. That's why there's a new Jerusalem coming down in the future when Jesus returns to claim the planet for himself. The godless line is traced through cities, states, and cultures. And the godly line is traced through Abraham, Israel, and the church. 
there are two cities. What's your zip code? 666 in the way of the evil one, or 777, the perfection and righteousness of God falling on your life. There's only one option that you can choose and be right with God. And you can say, well, what about all these? What about all those? What about the evidence? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you belong to one of these cities. And you are the one that gets to choose as God makes an invitation and draws you unto himself and pursues you. You choose whether or not you want to lay down your life and become the temple of the Holy Spirit and reside as a citizen of the city of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the clarity of your word. Lord, I'm thankful for it, one, because I'm in the city of God, not based on my righteousness, but just the good news of the gospel. I'm also thankful for it, Lord, because it helps me to understand what's happening around me that sometimes I get confused by, but I see just clearly from this book, Lord, you've written, you've preserved for us an ancient document about an ancient story that has happened thousands of years ago that could have, like it couldn't have more relevance than it does for the day that I live in. And I see you in that, Lord. You build my faith up and my prayer is that these people, these sheep that you've called me to shepherd, you build up their most holy faith. And Lord, those who do not have faith and have not crossed over into the city of God, would you help them to have the courage to change zip codes today? And Lord, as we go out into this city that you put us in, help us not to judge it and condemn it. Help us to love it and recognize, Lord, that you left us outside of the gates of Eden and you saved us in the midst of it, that we could help people to understand the truth so that they too could change zip codes. And may your joy flow from our hearts, Lord. May it flow from our lives like it flew from your life as you dwelt among us. Holy Spirit, may you invade us in such a point that people look at our lives and they see the Shekinah glory of you, Lord. They see it like just pouring out of us and they're drawn to it because we're reflecting that which you've put in us, not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of yours, Lord, that you've put in us because we believe and may we make a difference in the world that we live in. May people see it in our marriages. May they see it in our kids. May they see it in our careers, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name and amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.